0: Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random, I'm Jeremy Deemer, And I am Adam Summers. This is the podcast where every week we review a classic pro wrestling event from a streaming service.
1: And that classic pro wrestling event could be a major arena card from the Territory Days, it could be a television special, a home video with original matches, or in the case of this week's podcast, the final pay-per-view event from World Championship Wrestling.
0: That's right. This is WCW Greed from March 18th, 2001. Now, let's stay there in March of 2001. Uh, A lot went down when WCW finally met its demise. You can go to the beginning of January 2001, where Eric Bischoff and a group of investors called Fusion Media Ventures, they announced their intentions to purchase WCW. WCW had been losing money and had to be sold as AOL was merging with Time Warner, who owned WCW at the time. They were prepared to pay $48 million for the company, contingent on the contract putting in place a multi-year agreement where Turner Networks would continue to carry WCW programming. CEO of Turner Broadcasting, Jamie Kellner, made the decision to cancel all pro wrestling programming effective with Nitro on March 26, 2001 in Panama City, Florida. And just as a quick side note, it's not as if the
1: ratings for WCW Monday Nitro at that point were absolutely awful in comparison to where they had been before. They certainly weren't great. And in comparison to Monday Night Raw, they weren't great. But they were still like very solid for what a network like that would be doing at that time. So this wasn't necessarily a ratings-driven decision.
0: Now, Bischoff and Fusion uh, had some time to work out a deal with another television company. Like you mentioned, they had enough ratings to get those meetings with other broadcasters. But Bischoff and Fusion officially backed out of the deal for good on March 20th. 2 days after this pay-per-view we're about to review, March 20th, 2001. After Which
1: is wild as well because you read in the years later, and I'm not sure if you're if you were going to get to this, but some of the plans that Bischoff had with Fusion for WCW are pretty interesting. The idea of shutting down the company for a few months, restarting with a pay-per-view called The Big Bang, which there's actually uh, artwork out there for the ads for that pay-per-view the ads never ran but the artwork was was created for it and a lot of the idea was going to be that it was going to be built around younger wrestlers uh there's a you know a line of thought that joey styles was going to be brought in uh, with ecw having just closed was going to be brought in to be the play-by-play guy they were going to build around rob van dam as one of the big stars so they they did have definitive ideas they just you know they weren't able to put them in place because they didn't close the deal
0: That's correct. They were unable to land a television deal with Fox after a long set of negotiations. So many things contributed to the ultimate demise of WCW. There are literally books written about it, so we're not (laughs) going to go into it here, but definitely go read those. But Yeah,
1: read The Death of WCW and Nitro, I would say, are the two... uh the two definitive books detailing the, the the downward spiral
0: and eventual death of the company but yeah the way the story of the demise ended is with a sale at the end of March 2001 so Bischoff backs out of the deal on March 20th 2 days after this pay-per-view by the end of the month Vince McMahon and the WWF purchased the WCW assets for 4.2 million dollars 4.2 million dollars again go back to you said it was 48 million 48 million dollars in january and there had also
1: been i believe overtures earlier in that year or late the previous year from the wwf trying to buy wcw and it was even more than what bischoff ended up offering and many multiples more than what they ended up purchasing basically the tape library for as you mentioned
0: Yeah, but without those, without the the television time slots on any network, only WWF made sense to purchase WCW and the assets.
1: And really, yeah, all the all the assets were at that point was the intellectual property and the tape library because you weren't there was no like you said there was no TV slot there was nothing really tangible there.
0: So going into this show, um, this show came off like a group that had confidence that. That they were going to be purchased and and probably by Bischoff and crew here. So they were going on. They did not make any mention. This was not presented like this was the final pay per view in the legacy of WCW. So uh, not like Monday Nitro, the final Nitro, which was
1: presented as the series finale, and there there was an air of finality uh, to that broadcast, even before obviously the uh, the simulcast at the end of
0: the show. We open with a DDP video saying he's going to Cutter Steiner and we get the pyro in the arena and we hear Tony Schiavone and he says, quote, If it's professional wrestling then it must be greed. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I guess it's because everybody in wrestling is greedy
1: and will stab each other in the back. I don't know. I, I My thought is that a lot of the names that they had for these late-stage WCW pay-per-views, Sin, Greed, and such, that those were names that were, I, I, I assume, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe someone will correct me, that those were names that were come up with during uh, some part of the Vince Russo era and those you know russo wasn't here at this point but those names were you know they just kind of stuck with them but yeah it's uh, it's a little weird and also that's juxtaposed with their tiny little baby titantron that they have <laughs> at the top of their tiny little baby entrance uh like you said there's a little bit of pyro and we're immediately told that we have an extra added bonus match and oh boy from a visual presentation uh we talk about the fashion corner often on this podcast It is. Cuiwe, uh, who is quite the character, taking on Jason Jett, who I was very excited for you to get to see, Jeremy, because if you go back and listen to our November to Remember ECW 2000 podcast review, uh, Easy Money is on that show, and I talk at some length about how Easy Money was in at the very end of WCW and was presented as the super innovative high-flying babyface that was still wearing the same gross gear that Easy Money wore uh in uh, in ECW. So that's that's what we have here. For um, some
0: reason, this gear felt less gross. Uh maybe I don't know the
1: entrance gear he didn't have, <laughs> and he wasn't surrounded by Confederate currency, Chris Hamrick <laughs> and Julio De Niro and Electra. Um maybe that's
0: part of it. Yeah, it's definitely still not great. Or maybe it was just I was blinded by queewee's pre- presentation uh as so let's a whole. get into the
1: pre- the presentation for both quickly if you've never seen easy money before jason jet here that is easy money uh with his wcw name all his move names have like wacky like flying themes to them and he's wearing yellow tights and then these like yellow i guess you could call them like rubbery chaps that go from that connect his tights to his boots uh, it's, uh, it, it's not, there's a reason that this look has not been replicated. Never caught on. Wrestling. No, never, never it, caught it, on. It never <laughs> caught on. Whereas <laughs> Kweewee, he, uh, he's a muscular guy. He has a balding hairline, but hair sticking up like three feet in the air. Um, if, if you're one of the big audio nightmare listeners, think of Sonata when Sonata very first arrived in new Japan bro wrestling, Had that tall hair, um, and the then first and wearing... last
0: comparison between Sonata and Kiwi, <laughs> yes.
1: Um, and Kiwi is wearing long pink baggy trunks,
0: they almost like genie pants. Uh, yes,
1: there, there's there's a it's hammer pants meets the bottoms of medical scrubs, but <laughs> pink. It's uh, it is a look. Uh, and, and we are told that Easy Money, or as I should call him, Jason Jett here in WCW. Uh Just made his debut a couple days earlier on Thunder, and he defeated Alex Wright, who was, in fact, apparently in WCW in 2001. Das Wunderkind. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, if I remember, right, he had a very different look, a very different gimmick at that point. He had like a shaved head, except for was like a the black Berlin mohawk. No, it was a uh, yes, it was post Berlin. Post Berlin, but he had the same the same look and the same gear and they make a point as this match is beginning about how WCW is all about opportunities for the young wrestlers and we're often running on a match that while it's not officially part of the cruiserweight division, it certainly feels like they are they are going for that hot cruiserweight
0: opener sort of feel. What a generic name, though, Jason Jett. It's like the bottom of the creativity barrel here. Well, it it seems
1: as though he should have been teaming with Mark Starr on WCW Saturday night in, like, 1992
0: with that name. Fun fact about uh, young Jason Jett here, he was the last person ever to be signed to a WCW contract.
1: Oh, wow. So, yeah, he wasn't just... Because, you know, we'll get into it later. Like, AJ Styles was in the cruiserweight tag team <laughs> tournament at this time. And, and actually I believe wrestled. Um, he was on the last episode little, of WCW yeah, thunder, there, yeah. but he was not under a contract. He was just
0: there. Uh, yes, He was the basis. last, uh, last one to be signed to a WCW contract. Now a little bit of the presentation here as they showed the crowd, we will hear crowd sweetening throughout this show and yes. a lot of fake crowd noise because at times
1: it comes and goes like it comes it, and it, goes yeah we hear it early and then it goes away for a while and then in like the big matches they bring it back
0: yeah and when they showed the the building you could see empty seats this this is in but it was the, a pretty good crowd i mean yeah it was the jacksonville was Col- yeah jacksonville coliseum it drew 5030 fans which was about three quarters full, and uh, it is
1: also just interesting. Um, I guess just for more more symmetry between the companies, you know, people talk about All Elite Wrestling and then being on TNT, and the symmetry to WCW, obviously the Rhodes family uh, connection, and then the fact that All Elite Wrestling AEW, based out of Jacksonville, Florida, and here the final WCW pay per view took place in Jacksonville.
0: Kiwi jumps jet from behind before the bell, knocking them outside. They brawl outside the ring, and and I immediately noticed how much space there was between the guardrail and the ring. There's like an yeah. extra foot. You can see that the, the mats on the outside, they don't even come close to being near the guardrail.
1: This almost felt like one of those old uh, New Japan Tokyo Dome shows where they would have like the ring would be on the stage, and then, like, past the stage, you'd have another five or 10 feet till the actual, uh, like, guardrails for the fans. This was, it was definitely not the normal WCW setup.
0: Jet fights back, hits a crossbody off the top, all the way out to the floor. And back in the ring, Jet hooks him in a move that Scott Hudson, uh, our announced team is Tony Schiavone and Scott Hudson here. And uh, Hudson calls it a pendulum surfboard yes the pendulum of pain uh it is one of
1: the most visually disturbing moves in pro wrestling <laughs> i've watched some horrific japanese death matches in my life and i've not been as uncomfortable watching it as this ma- uh this move um some guys have used it but it certainly didn't uh didn't catch on if nothing else it's just a weird looking move it's like a a like elevated suspended reverse surfboard where you just are holding the guy and you swing him back and forth but it's it's like just
0: yeah, weird. Swinging between your legs like, yeah, it's it's weird.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a, it's an odd thing. Um, we also had then an odd spot where there's a leapfrog. Right as the announcers are saying that Jason Jett looks like he's been in WCW for 10 years. He stumbles uh, and we get a very awkward looking moment where a Wee catches him with a clothesline. Well, I thought and I was just, concerned
0: he almost blew out a knee or something. Yeah. The way that he stumbled hitting in those ropes. I'm like, is he hurt or no, just just clumsy. And uh, yeah. At least in that moment, in then Kuii
1: catches them, uh, throws them over the top rope, or th- from the apron, I should say, all the way over and to the floor by his hair. Get- he threw yes. him over
0: by his hair.
1: <laughs> These guys were going hard here. That that's the one thing that was exciting about this era of WCW. This like three months of 2001, where they were completely free of the Vince Russo era of wcw the uh the young guys that they were bringing in are some of the guys that had the the more high-flying guys that had had for a while that hadn't been motivated you saw that motivation come back and, and these two guys were going pretty hard uh then comes the moment that you sent a short clip of that you you took a video of from your screen and said we need to gift this and have this be the uh the image when we post the show uh post about the show on social media Queewe goes for a suicide dive through the ropes. Jason jet moves, but jet is standing so far away from where Queewe landed that if Jason jet had not moved an inch and just stayed standing where he was, Queewee would have crashed and burned regardless he, it is uh it is amazing.
0: yes, he can go to off- our Twitter if you have not seen this our Twitter or the Instagram it's all there it He comes up so short on this dive that. Jason Jett is not in the camera frame. No, so no. It, it looks like a just, just 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 jumps out and, and crashes and burns for no reason. It, you don't even know where his opponent is in this clip. Yes. Absolutely. Then, then we get something that tells me that Matt Hardy
1: was watching. Yes. I'm... Matt Hardy was watching this show, which by the 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 craziness of the randomizer, if you're listening to this show in linear fashion, last week's podcast was about WWF Backlash 2001, which was some five weeks after this WCW show. And we talked about a spot in the three-way match that Jeff Hardy was in where uh, he sort of gets backdropped as he's running towards his opponent who's standing back first to the apron on the floor, gets tipped up, and then his entire body hits the ropes, and then he comes back with a DDT. We get that exact same spot here, although I will say done much more crisply by these two men in the opener for WCW here.
0: Yeah. As soon as I saw that move, I immediately just said, (laughs) Oh my gosh, I know exactly where Matt Hardy got that move from. He was watching the greed pay-per-view. And
1: then, and then we get another thing that feels like more symmetry between what was on TNT.
0: Yes. The afterburner,
1: (laughs) the afterburner, which is Hangman pages, buckshot Lariat.
0: It's, it's not similar to Hangman Page's Bugshot lariat. It's exactly that move. It is.
1: It is 100% that move. So I guess we now know what like a 5-year-old Hangman Page <laughs> was watching on a Sunday evening in March of uh of 2001 here. Um yeah, and I mean, then we get a a, a standing moonsault from uh from Jason Jet. So we He we'll look at into this I think he yeah. look great here. I thought Jason Jett looked awesome here. He looked great in every appearance, his brief, very brief run he had in WCW. And we'll, we'll obviously describe the rest of this match, but there, there's a few, a few things that don't go perfectly in this match, but by and large, I loved this. I thought this was a really fun opener. And let we'll get into more of it, but just want to get that in there in case I forget.
0: Yeah, no, I I came in here, you know, I see these two geeks come out and I'm like, "Oh, I'm like, come on, WCW." And I was expect, you know, I I still had uh, aftertaste in my mouth from Bash at the Beach 2000, yes. right? So I'm already with low expectations, and these guys came out in the opener and just, you know, they they put on a great match. This is one of my favorite matches of the show. Yeah, and, this was this was of the now
1: thirty-two I think podcasts we've done. Again, if you're listening linearly, this is probably in the, this is at least in the top third, if not higher than that, of opening matches that we've
0: uh, that we've yeah, seen thanks. on shows that we've reviewed. Like you mentioned, though, it wasn't all all perfect. On the outside, Quwi tries to pin Jet on the floor, and the ref <laughs> has to say like, "No," and I'm like, "What is happening?" It Uh, did give a great moment for for
1: Tony to be able to tell us that, no, that stipulation was not added to the opener, but it has been added to the world title match coming up later.
0: Queewee erupts into Angry Alan, which is his his, uh, Jekyll and Hyde persona as Alan Funk was his... (laughs) uh previous name gimmick character and who was
1: basically like one of those guys that was on in like the late stages of wcw saturday night where they almost had a completely different roster than like nitro or thunder he was one of those guys that was just on there all the time but if you didn't watch saturday night you would almost never see him
0: both men on the top rope jet goes for a power bomb but Wee reverses it into a Rana in midair, and both men nearly broke their necks and died. Was, this was horrifying. This was so terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Again, they pulled it off. They and pulled it, it off. They had no it, business pulling off, it off. No,
1: these two guys certainly didn't. Quwi in particular, and it looked it looked dangerous. You can, I mean, they because it was, um, it was uh, it was visually impressive. We get a double count at this point. Uh, Queewee eventually gets over. Jet kicks out. Um, then Jason Jet goes for sort of a, he goes for a tilt to whirl head scissors. Queewee just sits out and drops down with it. and We get my first Tony schiavone of the show where he calls it, quote, a face
0: jam. <laughs> so Queewee's on the outside. Jet asks the crowd to be quiet as he lays down in the ring playing <laughs> possum. Kiwi then misses the elbow drop off the top rope. Jet follows it up with a throwaway suplex that he calls the crash landing, gets the 3 count. His offense looked great here. I really enjoyed this match, 12 minutes and 17 seconds of fun in the opener.
1: Yeah, super fun match. Yeah, this this move if you can visualize like a guy picking a guy up for a suplex and then as the guy as you have your opponent at like the apex of the height over your head, instead of holding him there, you just whip him up into the air, and he just lands powerbomb style on his back. That's what this finisher was. I also have to note because this is a a theme for the rest of the show. At one point, uh we have a low blow here blatantly, in front blatantly of the in front of the official. Oh. The referee does not budge. He's looking right at it. He does not call it, Nobody and we see this all it night was long. So so weird. Like in ECW, I feel like like John Finnegan would have reacted with more, uh, being more offended by this than there. There's one referee we'll get to later on who seems to at least be like thinking this isn't a legal move. But yeah, it, that was
0: weird. Otherwise, though, super fun opener. We get highlights of the cruiserweight tag team championship tournament, and I hear the voice of Mike Tenay, and I'm immediately angry that he's not on the <laughs> broadcast here. Where is Mike Tenay? Well, remember Mike Tenay had that bizarre run as this like really like prick heel
1: uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> interviewer during the Russo era. It's one of those things I completely forgotten about. And someone had recently posted, it might have been on the WCW Deep Cuts Twitter account, which is just an amazing tre- treasure trove of stuff. But it was Mike Tenay like interviewing Medeja. And like basically saying it was her fault that she got beat up by something. Like it was just a horrible, but today like there's, I don't know if this was during that time or not, but yeah, so we get this video package, which we see the bracket for like a millisecond. And on one side of the bracket, it is an unmasked Ray Mysterio and Billy Kidman taking on Johnny Swinger and Jason Lee, not the Jason Lee from current dragon gate, who probably wasn't even alive at this point, but some other guy named Jason Lee, uh, Then you had Evan Courageous and Shannon Moore of Three Count taking on Jamie Noble and someone named Scotty O. I have no idea who that is. Then on the other side of the bracket, which I do recall watching this match, Elix Skipper, Primetime, and Kid Romeo versus Air Paris and Air Styles. (laughs) Yes, AJ Styles. Yes. Yes, AJ Styles had a few matches in WCW at this point. Was an NWA Wild Side regular. Uh, he was on, like I said, the last ever edition of Thunder. Um, but then the other uh, the the bracket was filled out with the Young Dragons against Queequeg and Mike Sanders.
0: Like mediocre Mike Sanders or above yes. average Mike Sanders? Something yes. horrible.
1: Exactly the uh, the the mouthpiece of the natural born thrillers. <laughs> um, so that that the the the, uh, the brackets filter out to Kidman and Rey Mysterio versus primetime elix skipper who they just referred to only as primetime and kid romeo who i had very few memories of i i I, uh like i saw this show live on pay-per-view but it's been a long time since i've watched or thought about late stage wcw other than anything for this podcast kid romeo basically physically was basically they went out and got a guy that was a cruiserweight uh, version of what The Rock physically looked like. That was the whole thing here. But he danced like Alex Wright. Um, just kind of, I guess, the best way to describe him.
0: Yeah, I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't get Kid Romeo here. Uh, I didn't have many memories of him. I had to go uh, Wikipedia to see what happened. Where would he come from, and what happened to him? And,
1: well, yeah, uh... <laughs> I, he, he had, he had, he was in the two thousand best of the Super Junior tournament in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He uh, he had matches in New Japan in some in 99, a bunch in 2000, I think even a few in early 2001. And then he was, uh, after WCW died, I think he got, I checked, he got one dark match for the WWF. And then he just sort of floated around. He was on a few of the TNA weekly pay-per-views. And then at a certain age, he was no longer a Kid Romeo. He was just Romeo. I don't know if Lord Alfred Hayes was confused by that. Um... <laughs> But he uh, I believe the last match, according to the the Cage Match website, the last match he had was, I believe, in two thousand eight.
0: So in this match, this is for the cruiserweight tag team titles and hideous Ray's, belts, by the way. Uh, horrible belts. Uh Ray is by far the most popular guy in this match. Yes. Great offense by Mysterio. Lots of no mask, around. No mask, by the way. No, Ray no comes mask. out
1: with a a half mask version of his, you know, his old mask takes it off when the match starts. He is wearing like brown velvet pants, um, jacked to the gills,
0: um, and he is just—he's Rey Mysterio, so he's awesome. Yeah, he looked great. Head scissors taking Skipper over the top to the floor. We're told, yes, and, and this is the part where we're told that Kid Romeo has had extensive tours of Japan. At the time, this did not sound true to me, but I knew <laughs> that you would confirm that, so I'm glad you did. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it
1: was one of those things where like, I looked up Kid Romeo, kind of like you did, just to get a sense, because I didn't remember a lot about him, Um, and I saw that. So then when Tony said, I'm like, oh yeah, this is not Tony saying this is the greatest night in the history of our sport. Yeah, I thought it was
0: completely BS, uh, because I hadn't gone and looked (laughs) this up yet. I literally wrote, I I need Adam to confirm, so I'm glad (laughs) glad you did.
1: Well, at this point then, and you'll describe it, we get one of the most impressive spots, maybe the most impressive thing we'll see all night, right after Tony says this.
0: So, all four men are on the ramp, and Ray whips Skipper towards Kidman, who hip-tosses him off the ramp onto Romeo on the floor. So, Ray and Kidman are on the stage. They they run, leap off the stage, hitting Romeo and Skipper on the concrete floor. Kidman's crossbody almost overshot Romeo, and he crashed into the rail. It It, it, it was crazy. This was was
1: awesome, super fun, great spot, great great spot, great camera shot of it. Um, obviously, it wasn't anywhere near as high, but the only thing that I can compare this to is from the, the ECW Open, the TV show and pay per view open, uh, where New Jack like gets a full running start and dives off the balcony, I believe, at the ECW Arena, and he's just sort of flying through the air, like almost suspended in the air for a time. That's what Kidman in particular looked like here. Uh, Kidman, like you said, hits the, the the cross body while Ray hits the uh, the seated Thez press, and then we're uh, we're back in the ring, and the faces hit a double sit out choke slam, which I wasn't expecting.
0: Yeah, Romeo gets on offense here, and and he's by far the worst guy in this match at this point. Uh, everyone,
1: uh, I don't know that I would agree with that. Elix Skipper was like he did really cool stuff, but in between the stuff, I felt like every time he was in between moves the match
0: was about to completely fall apart and i But didn't, it didn't. Yeah. But i and I, I don't know if skipper was le- if he legit hurt his shoulder here or not but like that might have had something to do with True. You know, a lot of the stuff that he was doing but i i couldn't tell if that was him selling or or if he was actually hurt. Um Romeo goes for a pin on Kidman. And Ray breaks it up with a drop kick, which you don't see very often. Yeah. Uh, On the outside, Skipper starts getting in the face, yelling at a fan, and so great. This fat nerdy guy that Scott Hudson then refers to as Fred Durst, and I (laughs) thought this was hilarious. And And Scott Hudson was not great on this show. I'm not not a huge
1: Scott Hudson fan, but he because a lot of his stuff just it seems forced. And over the top, and it seems like a guy trying to feign, like, excitement or concern or outrage. And it just – it never sounds uh, believable or legit. But here he just casually says, no, oh, primetime is over there with Fred Durst. And, yeah, I just I just <laughs> I lost hope. it. And then momentarily afterwards, it was either him or Tony. I'm guessing it was him because Tony probably didn't know who Fred Durst was. Um, and good for him if he didn't. But uh, I believe it's Scott Hudson says something like, well, yeah, Fred Durst isn't even a cruiserweight.
0: <laughs> For for those who don't know Fred Durst like Tony Schiavone, Fred Durst is the singer, and I use that term loosely, for the band Limp Biscuit. So the uh,
1: man who makes sounds into the microphone for Limp Biscuit. WWF
0: The, w- F- the favorite WWF's
1: band. favorite band. If you haven't <laughs> listened to this podcast before, you won't understand that reference.
0: No, or if you only listen to part two of the <laughs> WWF WrestleMania nineteen Which- podcast. If you did, oh, by the you're way, an animal. I, go back and listen I, to part one. What are you doing? Listen to both ch- parts of that show.
1: I checked the analytics, the data, and the gap between part one and part two has only grown in recent Stop weeks. Stop it. No, I can't we are have it. well, well into the double digits of more people having listened to part two than part one. This
0: this is completely unacceptable. <laughs> this, is a, this is a show you have to listen to from start to go. Listen to part one and part two. I don't know who, who these people are that pick and choose part two. Uh well, so uh Kidman with a sit out power bomb on Skipper off the top, makes the hot tag to Ray. Ray runs he just runs wild on both guys. It's, it's a-, a huge
1: crossbody, a tornado DDT, a forearm on prime time. and then this is the point where prime time rushes at him in the corner. Ray moves and primetime goes shoulder first into the post. Uh, then we get um this really cool like forward somersault off the top rope um it's hard to describe because it looks different than like a swanton bomb because he doesn't like he keeps everything real tight his legs and his arms are tight to his body but ray hits that off the top rolls through in all in one motion hits a suicide dive through the ropes onto prime time and good god was ray mysterio awesome here in 2001
0: this was so smooth like as soon as he gets up after that that centon type somersault move off the top on Romeo he gets up and he just runs full speed across the ring and then hits skipper with a tope on the floor and you 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 didn't even know he was out there so it was it was absolutely a really cool move really exciting if this was in a video game you would have only had to do one button combination
1: to make all these things happen it was that smooth of an animation if you want to call it that between moves
0: Romeo hits Ray with something off the top. I couldn't tell what he was trying here.
1: Uh, Tony Schiavone would tell you that was a flying body attack. (laughs)
0: That's right. And Kidman then off the top hits a shooting star press to the floor on both Skipper and Romeo. Wild.
1: A Kid Mikazi, as they called it. And seeing Billy Kidman, who he's a cruiserweight, but he's not on the small end of cruiserweights, like constantly busting out shooting star presses. And then here to the floor all the way back then is, is wild to see.
0: Skipper hooks Ray's arms behind his back, suplexes him, holds him there as Romeo comes off the second rope with a leg drop. Kidman then breaks up the pin there. Ray power bombs Romeo as Kidman hits a top rope splash, but Skipper breaks up the pin. Almost almost like Power and
1: Glory 2001 here. With that that combination of, of top rope moves or of
0: moves I should say, Skipper and Kidman they they tumble over the top to the floor. Ray then jumps off the second like off the middle of the second rope, hits a moonsault on Romeo. Romeo catches him, hits his move which is called the Last Kiss, and which is gets basically the three count.
1: it's basically the, the 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 Kensuke Sasaki Northern Lights Bomb. I won't call it the snowplow because the snowplow sucked. Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, so this. Uh, well, yeah. First, after the he hits that move, they win cleanly, and then they they dance. We get a dance for the ages with Kid Romeo in Prime Time here. Tony says, "Save that for South Beach, Kid Romeo," and I I guffawed over that. Uh, I actually thought Kid Romeo looked really good in here, considering when I first saw him, I groaned heavily and felt like we're gonna be in for like a a Kenny chaos level performance from a, a power plant type of guy. But this was this. So the show at this point is two for two.
0: I, yeah, again, there were a few rough spots, but this was really, really fun. 13 minutes, 46 seconds. And I'm like, we're, we're 25 minutes into this show and 35 these, minutes. These in. are two great matches so far. Well, well
1: this it, is also unbelievable. Val- it also validated to this point. Cause my whole memory and we'll, by the end of this show, we'll see how accurate that was. My memory of of the early part of two thousand one was that it was somewhat of a return return to form for WCW, as I mentioned after the the, the last couple of years of you know Vince Russo, Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff, just a lot of just total garbage. Um, and I remember at the time, like it made me as a lifelong WCW fan so much more sad that WCW died then, as opposed to if they had died like. 10 minutes after bash at the beach 2000 ended
0: buff Bagwell's in the back and he's making a documentary and by documentary I mean a shaky camera with a flashing recording light in the corner is basically filming animal flair and Jarrett.
1: Yes. Imagine if, if the television program, the shield was filmed by your parents in 1985 with their camcorder. That's what this is like. It's shaky. It's greeny. It's I I'll, full disclosure after the first of these videos and we get about 10 more of them. Oh, I so could many. only listen. I couldn't watch because it, they were,
0: I was getting seasick. Yeah. They, this was horrible presentation. This was terrible, hard to watch. And we're not even into the content yet. We'll get there later. Stacy Keebler comes out. She's, she introduces the Sean and Stacy show well, before she does that, we see a brief video feature. And
1: it's so quick that I can't fully grasp what's happening. It's just like a clip of what happened on Nitro or Thunder. And like Stacy comes out and she has like a like a stroller or something. And but it's Sean Stasiak is in or is implied to be in the stroller. And are we supposed to believe that Sean Stasiak is Stacy's baby? But they're dating. I don't know this doesn't make any more sense than I'm explaining it as. We then get the mecca of manhood, as he's called. Sean's the star stays yet comes yes. out. He uh
0: That is his, his full mu- introduction.
1: <laughs> his music has a woman yelling, do it now, over and over again. Then he has 80s music that sounds like you would hear it during the like menu screen on Netflix for the glow TV show. Um, and then at that point, Tony Shivani says, I assume with a straight face. Now that's a superstar
0: entrance. Ugh, he throws. It was not. Sh- no, he throws headshots out to the crowd. Yes,
1: uh, after. Well, he throws headshots
0: out to the crowd after basically doing the
1: worst impersonation of a Rick Rude promo you've ever heard in your life.
0: Oh, I, I, there. Stasiak is a zero. This was. This was so lame. But thank goodness his opponent is Bam Bam Bigelow. And anyone who's listening to any of our back episodes of this podcast know we're big Bam Bam Bigelow fans and supporters here on this show. Absolutely. And I had completely forgotten that he was still around in WCW at this point.
1: He's he's clearly a little heavier because he's wearing his regular Bigelow gear, but then he's wearing a uh, like a button-up sleeveless black shirt over it. But he still moves like Bam Bam Bigelow here.
0: Yeah, Bigelow in charge early. We get a lot of stalling by Stasiak. Lots of stalling. We get a standing drop kick from Bigelow. Yes, a, a drop kick that sends Stasiak again to the outside. Stasiak eventually rams Bigelow into the steps, gets the advantage. Low blow by Stasiak right in front of the referee again, who does <laughs> not care. No, but Tony Schiavone has a line that I don't know why this made me laugh so much, but I
1: just never heard this before. So Stasiak hits the low blow and Tony says, quote, he tinted his windows on that one. (laughs) I had to turn, I had to pause the show because I was giggling so much that I I could not type my notes. I don't know why it made me laugh so much, but it did. And it's doing the same thing to me
0: now. What did not make me laugh was Bigelow hitting a low blow of his own on Stasiak and the ref still does not care. What is happening? I guess, but
1: I... I explained this in my head by by telling myself that Ric Flair is the CEO of WCW in storyline and nobody loves to throw a low blow more than Ric Flair. So Ric Flair probably just is amused by these and told all referees, let him go.
0: And that would that'll make sense because every single person in every single match is just throwing low blows all day. Yes. So that that I, I can I can get there with that logic uh, diving headbutt off the top by Bigelow gets a near fall. Keebler's on the apron. She takes her hair down, takes something out of her hair, tosses it to Stasiak. Turns out it's a spray of some kind, hairspray, something. And Stasiak blinds Bigelow with the spray, hits a neckbreaker, gets the pin. Stasiak wins five minutes, 55 seconds. It was a little sad here because you could tell that you know, Bigelow just to me, he just didn't have it. He just doesn't. He was, you know, he was on the tail end of his career here. Yeah,
1: and... I mean, he could, like I said, I mean, he hit that Sandy drop kick, which is super impressive for a guy his size. But I mean, this was, yeah, it was a nothing match. They clearly weren't doing anything with him, and this, you know, really, he didn't do anything after this. Uh, the only thing that Sean Stasiak did this entire segment that was entertaining and that that amused me at all was. uh after Bigelow gets his eyes sprayed, the match is over. Bigelow is on the floor, uh, yeah, having the, the trainer trying to like flush his eyes out, and Stasiak just calmly walks over and tries to hand the trainer one of the 8 by 10s
0: Out by the loading dock, Ernest the Cat Miller tells some woman that he's going to take care of Canyon. Uh, well, which- this is on a security camera, which I actually – I'll give them credit for this. If you're going to do
1: backstage hidden camera segments – Where, like, the the wrestlers act like they don't know there's a camera three feet in front of them. Doing this from like security camera, like, you know, up, diagonal, up in the corner, looking down. That's actually a pretty creative way to do that. I, I would rather just not have backstage segments like that, but I thought that was
0: okay. Here's a backstage segment I didn't need Skipper and Romeo put the belts on each other. And that's about it. It was very strange. They were just like, yeah, we
1: won. They put the belts on each other. They go to hug and they're like, no, we don't like each other that much. We're just acquaintances, not friends. And then they leave. Okay.
0: Lance storm and the Canadian killer, Mike awesome versus Hugh Morris and Conan. This match. I have a lot to say.
1: I'm not going to, it's not going to take a lot of time, but I have a lot to say about this match. First off, Hugh Morris um, is no longer General Rection. He is now Hugh Morris. Uh, He is wearing his old Dungeon of Doom Hugh Morris shirt with like the question marks and everything. And we are told by Tony Schiavone that Hugh Morris is the locker room leader of WCW. And he's an inspiration for all the other wrestlers. And I, I, I hear this and I'm just like, wow, when you hear all the stories later on about Hugh Morris, Bill DeMott just taking liberties with, uh, with train, you know, stuff in WWF a few years later. It was just wild yeah. to hear, like, Hugh Morris is this, like, this inspirational babyface that inspired the entire WCW locker room. No, you
0: might as well have told me that Rick Steiner at this point in his career was a, yeah. r- a locker room leader as he hurt people and beat them up. And yeah, just... <laughs> it was,
1: it was very weird. Weird. Uh, meanwhile, Mike awesome doesn't have a mullet. And I forgot that he didn't have a mullet at this point And it is really strange.
0: Yeah. He, uh, it, I do like this, this, the idea of this team. So. Oh yeah. Lance storm comes out first. If I could be serious for a minute, cuts his promo. Loved it. Everyone rise for the Canadian national anthem, which does not play. Hugh Morris's music hits. He runs down. Uh, This is where I also note that he's no longer General Erection. And uh, Conan then finally comes out. He took forever to get out And we hear
1: about two bars of his music. It's hilarious. Like, he he appears. We hear, like, it's like they hit play and then immediately hit stop. And then there he is.
0: (laughs) So it's all Team Canada early. And we love the little things. Here on this podcast, and another great example here, Storm has a cover on Morris. Conan comes in to break up the pin, but instead of getting hit, Storm stands up to avoid yes. getting hit by Conan. He sees him coming and doesn't just stay there to take the hit. He gets up and backs off loved it that's Lance that's something that Storm, should come back.
1: He is so good he was to me he was hands down as someone who watched all this w c w uh, just depressing content at the time. He was hands down the most entertaining guy of the last year or so of WCW. And even here in this match, I, I would say that, that, that holds true.
0: Conan's in, he runs wild on team Canada until Mike awesome cuts him off on his way out of the ring. And everything Landstorm does is it's crisp. It's intense. And it's so smooth. Like, it's, Oh yeah, it's great. It's a pleasure to watch, uh, Awesome hits Conan with a shoulder block or a forearm off the top rope. Hard to tell. Lots of double teaming by Team Canada. And then we get to see the beautiful Landstorm dropkick, but it looks like he missed Conan by quite a while. And Well, uh...
1: he missed him because he's got too good of a vertical leap. He dropkicked. Over the head of Conan and Conan to his credit, like got his hands up over his head to take some of the impact, so it wasn't a total whiff. But that might be the first time I've ever seen a guy execute a drop kick too well. Uh and that being the reason he doesn't hit his opponent. You can't say the same thing in terms of executing a move too well. Uh when you talk about Mike Awesome moments later hitting this was the uh What was the name of the guy, the football player in AWA? Les Francis or whatever his name was. Russ Russ Francis. Francis. This was the Russ Francis splash of pile drivers. (laughs) This was the worst in in 35 years of watching pro wrestling. The worst pile driver I've ever seen. I, I don't even know how to do justice to describe this other than that. There's not a camera shot in the world. We talked about on last week's podcast, like how they had 75 cameras uh, for that that Shane McMahon spot where he falls a 1,000 feet off the, uh, the scaffolding. There is not a camera shot in the world. They could have set up a camera every six inches in the entire building here in Jacksonville. Not one of them would this pile driver act look like it had connected remotely.
0: Now, awesome with a splash off the top. Conan makes a save. All four men are in. Morris goes up for the no laughing matter moonsault off the top rope. Storm... Which, by
1: the way, Tony constantly calls him the laughing man in Ugh. this match.
0: Constantly. Storm breaks it up. Awesome hits a running awesome bomb. Almost like Scott Hall's Razor's Edge. Yes. Uh, running corner to corner. Awesome then covers him. Conan tries to make the save, but Storm holds him outside the ring Gets the three count. Storm and Awesome are your winners. Eleven minutes, twenty-eight seconds.
1: Yeah, this match was not very good, but Lance Storm was awesome in it being Lance Storm, so it was it was passable enough to spend twelve minutes watching.
0: We see the Rhodes family getting ready in the locker room. Dusty's security cam again. Security cam again footage, uh, which I don't think is legal to have that in a locker room. <laughs> well, uh, Dusty's it's Florida, so. We know. <laughs> Dusty claims to be eating 240 burritos because he will put <laughs> Flair's face in his ass. So yes, that is. Uh, well, the, the, it's even better because so
1: some guy comes in and brings Dusty. What Dusty says is 240 burritos. <laughs> Dusty says he's going to eat them all. Dustin says like we've got a match, Pop, and Dusty yells back, "Rick Flair's face in my ass." That's the match. <laughs> I just again I lost it. like the whole idea of that match is so stupid, but Dusty being Dusty Dusty's saying that so
0: great. Uh, so and much again,
1: fun. and again from the security camera, like static view. Um I uh <laughs> I just I lost it. Yeah, I we uh then we go backstage again with the shaky uh shaky cam camera, documentary
0: with Buff Bagwell. And I
1: I did open my eyes at this point, even though I was, uh, I needed Dramamine to do it. Um, to see what Rick Steiner was wearing. Rick Steiner is wearing jeans. He's wearing an unlimited athletics polo. And then he is wearing what I would say is the gold standard of the pro wrestling. Look, he has a leather fanny
0: pack on. Sure does. And he says he's going (laughs) to win fast. Everyone keeps talking about how Scott's Diner is paranoid because someone took out Medasia, an animal. And all I see on this show is a totally fine animal and yes. Medasia. <laughs> so yes. oh. uh, I don't know what everybody, what, what he's so. Is this like two years ago? Or? Yes. Yeah, no, this I is... don't know what he's so concerned about.
1: Also, just quick note: there, there was a group at this point which I had forgotten about called the Magnificent Seven. Oh yes, in... the,
0: we blew past the, the the reintroduction in our lives of the Magnificent yes. Seven. Yes, which
1: it includes Ric Flair, Jeff Jarrett, Animal, uh, Buff
0: Bagwell, Lex Rick Luger. Steiner,
1: Buff Bagwell, Lex Luger. All these guys. With Jeff a...
0: Jarrett, he makes yes. it the seventh. Yeah.
1: But then, uh, alternately, Buff Bagwell calls them the elite group. He says this multiple times, and again, I'm like, "What is going on? Is there some weird symmetry between this and what's airing on TNT in in uh, in 2020?" I don't know. Uh, we then get like we get a backstage promo from the locker room of Palumbo and O'Hare, but this isn't security cam. This is like a regular, you know, regular camera shot. But they're looking away from it, um, and they say that they're going to die before they lose. And I, at this point, I two things I realize that. Sean O'Hare and Sean Stasiak are not the same person, which was I had forgotten, um, which was disturbing because I had told you when when the randomizer pulled the show and I'm like, oh, man, we're going to see the perfect event again. And then you're like, oh, they still have the tag titles. That's weird. And then here I realized, (laughs) oh, yeah, the perfect event was was Stasiak and Palumbo. So these guys that were all part of the natural born thrillers are not all the same person. Um, but yes, yeah, so that that match with uh, those guys against totally buff will be coming up later. Now we get a production cool. error. Yeah, I was gonna say O'Hare's
0: we... uh, O'Hare's he's, he's not telling you anything you don't already know. Yes. <laughs> <But> no, <laughs> yeah. no he, he didn't say that. That's his character <laughs> later in WWF. Okay. Yes. Cruiser championship
1: well, we, we get this graphic that first is it's a graphic for the cruiserweight tag title graphic and tony throws some subtle shade at the person who put the graphic up by making it point to emphasize that now we move to the cruiserweight singles title match
0: sugar shane helms comes out with the sugar babies for women dancing during his entrance it's the nitro girls and <laughs> it literally is the nitro girls that who he,
1: it's who he has here as the sugar babies probably the most excited I've heard Scott Hudson get at this point in the show. It's not that the sugar babies are out there. It's that Shane Helms is wearing tights before he had like baggy, like indie trash bag tights here. He's got short tights and this is noteworthy. Uh, I feel like Scott Hudson would appreciate the fashion corner on this podcast. I'm
0: guessing the champion is Chavo Guerrero jr. He makes his way out. we get, weird crowd sweetening here uh it's it's well how about chavo with a remix of of eddie's wcw music that you loved yeah it was solid we caught that yeah it was good uh back and forth early then chavo takes his head off with a clothesline just brutal shane went for quote the nightmare on helm street which is his finisher and i chuckled that is a pretty great name it Uh, is a great name and that is the final cut that move that i
1: referenced that was a kaz hayashi move that big show i'm guessing that's big show is probably like hanging out with matt hardy at the hotel and (laughs) was watching this pay-per-view and was that's where he got that move from that he tried to use uh at backlash a few weeks later we also had chavo using a regal stretch at this point which they uh Incorrectly identified as an STF, but it yes. was the regal stretch.
0: Yes, they they basically called it a sloppy STF, but it was <laughs> a solid regal stretch. Yes, yeah, uh, Chavo transitions to working over the leg. Uh, he puts him. He does the muda lock. He does, and and Chavo puts him sitting on the second buckle, and then Chavo just drop kicks him right in the face. Uh, good looking offense here from Chavo.
1: At this point, I wonder if Kazuchika Okada was a fan of Chavo
0: Guerrero at this point. Helms on the outside. Chavo with a cross body off the top to the floor. Nobody cared. The yeah, crowd, the crowd is dead, dead for this. Which is
1: interesting because they were very much not dead for the first two very cruiserweighty type of matches. That bonus match with Jason Jett and then the, the cruiserweight tag title match. I don't know if the previous couple of matches just took him out of it or they didn't really care about Shane Helms. But yeah, this was... This match, and again, we'll describe the rest of it. This, to me, the best way I can describe this is two good wrestlers trying really hard to have a great match, but they're just not good enough to pull it off.
0: So, uh, you know, little flashes from Helms, but Chavo's in control. Helms then blocks a Tornado DDT attempt. Another counter. Then he hits the Nightmare on Helm Street finisher, but Chavo with his foot on the ropes... Chavo's on the outside. Helms off the top rope. He hits a high fly flow to the outside on Chavo. Yes.
1: yes, the uh, the frog crossbody, the high fly flow that Hiroshi Tanahashi uses to the floor, aces high, if you will, the uh, the crossbody to the floor. So it, this is an amazing confluence of events because Shane Helms hits this move, which is spectacular. As as he's going to the top rope, the crowd is loudly chanting "boring." And as he lands, Tony says, "And I quote: the fans erupt."
0: Yeah, they were they were turning up the crowd, sweetening the the fake crowd noise to drown out the boring chants at this point. Yeah, which is just yeah, I was surprised, especially off of that dive. Another crossbody off the top, back in the ring for a near fall. Chavo crotches Helms, who lands hard, and then Helms is able to counter Chavo. He hits the Vertebreaker for the win. New Cruiserweight Champion Shane Helms. 13 minutes, 57 seconds. Yes. breaker, a
1: super, super visually impressive move. Terrifying. Uh, homicide used it uh, to effect for quite a while as well. Um, this, like I said, they tried hard. It wasn't bad. But of the three, again, I don't know if you want to call it opener Cruiserweight match, but if you do, of the three Cruiserweight matches, this was by far the the worst of the three. It just, it didn't connect like I think they were looking for.
0: More documentary garbage in the back, but Flair and Jarrett say they're not going to kiss any ass tonight. Booker T cuts a promo, tells you not to hate the player, but hate the game. Save the drama, call your mama. WCW World Tag Team Championship. Lex Luger is out first. Part of the Magnificent Seven, like we mentioned. Then Buff Bagwell makes his separate entrance, and the team is called Totally Buffed. They're the challengers. Can we talk
1: for a second about Buff Bagwell's music? Because it is, well, first off, it's basically it's it's every generic '80s rock song you've ever heard, and then Buff Bagwell in his Buff Bagwell voice saying things like "Buff is the stuff," and quote, "I'm totally delicious." Which then, as an aside, made me think of the underrated WCW tag team of Vicious and Delicious, that being Scott Norton and Buff Bagwell.
0: Um, I will not be undercutting... (laughs) buff Bagwell's song underneath uh, as we talk about it here that is not having is dead silence while we talk about this.
1: well what if we do ever review a show that has the american males yes that oh, 100%, that. that one that needs at. to be there because that's that's a theme song for the ages then uh, luger gets on the mic and cuts a long promo talking about how the end of the career of bill goldberg taunts the fans to chant goldberg who is clearly not there so that's fun um Luger does have a good line where he's basically like me and doesn't remember who the guys are that he's wrestling he can't remember if it's a Palumbo and O'Hare and which first name goes with which last names uh Luger then says uh this match won't take long and I write that promo sure did though
0: O'Hare and Palumbo waste no time laying both Buff and Luger out Super kicks by Palumbo on both, which Tony calls the jungle kick. Yes. Uh, Shantan bomb, which is the senton off the top by Sean O'Hare on Luger. a
1: giant human being in Sean O'Hare, which is
0: very impressive. Oh, yeah, he leaps to the top again, hits one on Buff. O'Hare covers Luger as Palumbo covers Buff. Three counts, still tag team champions. This was a quick squash match. Which Scott Hudson screams? That was a squash.
1: That was a Georgia Georgia Championship Wrestling squash, and I that was again one of the one of the good Scott Hudson lines on here. I thought, wow, this is like a uh,
0: a Pez Watley Jimmy Valiant squashing the Road Warriors moment here. Oh no! So I had to fi- so in looking at what happened here, uh, <laughs> we turn to Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Uh, both Luger and Bagwell complained loudly about being asked to put over Palumbo and O'Hare to the point where wrestlers thought that they were babies and the way that they stormed out of the building after the meeting to go to the gym made a lot of people think that they weren't going to come back for this show. The match itself was booked for eight minutes and is supposed to be O'Hare pinning Luger with the Shanton bomb clean. Instead, after doing the lengthy interview, which was on the script, they went into business for themselves. They did the spot where they knocked each other out and laid wow. out for O'Hare to do his move on both of them and pin Luger in 54 seconds. Both oversold the effects of it for several minutes, including yes. Bagwell trying to spoof his legitimate neck injury by not moving. Both so that men- was them that was
1: them doing it on
0: their own. Cause that was my
1: question of like how tasteless that was. It's very weird because they go to a video package for the next match and then they come back and Luger and Bagwell are still in the ring selling. Like
0: they just like they got killed. Yes. Both men laid in the ring motionless while people at home were watching a video package, building up the cat versus Canyon match doing almost a caricature of being paralyzed which came off to the fans live as a blatant exposure of the business. And then when the cameras were back on, Bagwell moved, teasing a reoccurrence of his famous neck injury. Most of the wrestlers and virtually all of the agents backstage were furious at this entire thing. Which amazes me then that Buff Bagwell was still hired by the
1: WWF, and was put in that, that all-important and disastrous spot yeah. a couple months later of wrestling Booker T in that ill-fated was, match in Tacoma on Raw that
0: basically was the second death of WCW. Yeah, Bagwell was on the no list, but when Vince McMahon was reading off WCW names in front of the That's crowd, right. he actually got, got, he got a big pop, and they decided did. to bring him in for that. So that Jesus. that was actually the difference.
1: What a fateful, fateful thing. I also, nowhere near as important, but I have to mention that I'm 99% sure that Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo came out to the exact same Prodigy knockoff music that Al Snow had on the WWE
0: Network uh, version of ECW Living Dangerously 1998 that we reviewed. Scott Steiner rants about DDP. We see that video package recapping Canyon and Cat, and then we finally see them uh, totally buff leave the ring like I described, and then... Uh, Canyon ends up; he rises up from the stage for his entrance, and
1: he looked cool here in this entrance. Chris Canyon was awesome. He uh, he's got a leather coat on. They, though, we complain and rightfully so about the WWF pushing certain phrases, uh, even you know back in the early 2000s, where it just drives you crazy on a certain you know, on a particular show. But here, the amount of times that they call Chris Canyon a sociopath, just. It just drove me up a wall. Uh, but yeah, he's out here in his long, like greenish blue velvet tights and a leather jacket. Um, and then here comes the cat with, we've Miss heard him before. Jones. Yeah. A, a human being named Miss Jones. who I have no recollection of they're wearing matching leopard print gear. Cat comes out to the lamest dubbed. I can't even call it like generic uh, James Brown knockoff music. It is. It's literally elevator music.
0: Like, it, uh, I couldn't believe that they just didn't overdub the the "Somebody Call My Mama" song that, yes. that they've had. They have the rights to, and they've had forever. Like I, I don't know why they didn't overdub that. They overdubbed just a horrible version of uh, whatever this song was. It, uh, the original, I think, was just a. They actually had a James Brown song. So yes. Um,
1: well, can we also talk about the fact that, like, so the cat, or excuse me, Chris Canyon has a cast on. And they explain that it is because of M.I. Smooth's head from Canyon punching him so many times. This then brings me back to, so while while Totally Buff is laid out in the ring and we see this, you're very kind in calling it a video package. (laughs) They showed like a montage of clips in the span of about 12 seconds from, I think, eight different shows. And you could not make out anything of what was happening because they showed everything so quick but the only thing i noted here again um is that MI smooth I- i'm pretty sure was ice train and i would have far rather seen ice train than a lot of the guys on this show including ernest the cat miller
0: i'm glad you mentioned these video recaps because they feel so minor league compared yes. to what the wwf was doing at this exact same time oh. when we look at the backlash show that was just five weeks later the WWF could always make the lamest segments look epic. And, oh, yeah. and I immediately knew what was going on, even having not watched it in decades. And you got neither feeling when you watched any of these WCW recaps. Nothing felt epic. Everything felt lame. And you had no idea what was going on. Yeah,
1: it was. I, it, it's perfectly said. A lot of these, I actually feel like I would have understood more if they didn't show it
0: so canyon goes after miss jones on the stage but cat goes on the attack because he's been stalking miss jones they talked about again we saw about
1: we saw like a nanosecond of this in that that video recap that he like stalked her in the hospital i don't know i just yeah go through this match sucked yeah that's that's my my review of this you'll, you'll go into it more detail
0: yeah, back in the ring uh, after an electric chair, Cat Rams Canyon's face first, just in the mat three times, yelling, "I'm the greatest!" After each one, this is this is the Cat Ernest the Cat Miller um, Canyon. How about
1: Tony saying that? So, Cat in the midst of making one of his comebacks, I think it was around this time. Tony says that because of the Cat's karate background, Ugh. the Cat is a better puncher than Chris Canyon.
0: We did get a cool move. We we you know, Canyon on offense is always fun. He's an innovator. And we saw the outside in elbow drop. We saw Canyon off the top with his leg on the back of Cat's head driving him face first in the match. Yeah,
1: basically a top rope, whether you want to call it a rocker dropper or a Sicilian slice. Very cool.
0: Canyon cutter and then goes to the top, but he's crotched by a karate kick from the cat. Superplex from the cat, got a near fall. We had the a sunset flip attempt by Canyon that gets blocked. Crotch chops and more dancing from the cat, and then he hits what's called the James Brown elbow. Which is uh, yeah, this is that time period where like WCW is desperately trying to
1: create a people's elbow, yes. and it never took, no matter who they had doing it. Here, the cat. Uh, being another example of this we had, we also had before that a a very very bad spine buster by canyon that that I don't blame it on him uh a yeah. boston crab that didn't look particularly good the cat the cat could be an entertaining guy but that entertainment factor did not take place within the confines of the ring he just was awkward and bad it was very difficult to like obviously it was difficult to have a good match with him but it was also difficult
0: for like to to be able to do your moves in a way that they looked good. Kick to the face by Miller. It's called the Fee Liner, but uh, Canyon's foot is on the rope. Canyon hits Cat with a weapon, and Miss Jones is now on the apron. Canyon hits the ref from behind. Cat holds Canyon so that Miss Jones can get a free shot in, but... Canyon moves and Miss Jones kicks Cat in the head. Yeah, a big head kick, like a Muay Thai head kick. Like Miss <laughs> Jones is is ready to fight and she kicks Canyon in the head. He turns around into another feliner, and the ref counts 3. Ernest the Cat Miller wins. And when Miss Jones got into this match, the crowd got way into this finish. Yeah. I was I was really surprised and a bit disappointed in the fans. Uh, (laughs) Uh, At at the finish, Scott Hudson yelled, and I quote, Oh, what a match.
1: He was wrong.
0: (laughs) Canyon, he attacks Cat after the match. Flatliner, which is his move on the Cat. Smooth then runs down to save Miss Jones. Smooth had his own entrance music and had nothing wrong with him for having Canyon broken yeah. his hand on his face. Uh, yeah. None the worse for wear here. Uh, so maybe he was attacked by the same person. Maybe Canyon was the one who attacked Medeja and Animal. Because yeah, there was no indeed. effects to Smooth and no effects to them either. 10 minutes, 31 seconds. Yeah, he, bad. Speaking of bad, the documentary continues with Totally Buff in the back. Buff says uh, they're, they're fighting and he says, hey, only tape the good stuff. Dusty uh, is is on the the hidden camera footage. Dusty says, uh, it's all moved down to his saddlebags now. (laughs) And we're going to get smelly vision out there tonight. (laughs) So, U.S. Heavyweight Championship now. Booker T is your challenger against the U.S. champion 41-year-old Rick Steiner. (laughs) Booker
1: T, by the way, we talk about it every time that he is featured in any way on a show on this podcast. Top five entrance music of all time. He still has it here, but it starts with his catchphrase. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Then Rick Steiner's music starts and his starts with his catchphrase. If you want some, come get some. If you don't like me, bite me. So that was a thing here where everybody's music basically started with their catchphrase and then the music would hit. But that's two catchphrases. So Steiner yes, got two
0: is. catchphrases at the beginning of his song.
1: It is, yeah. It's uh I also noted the the percentage of white people raising the roof. That's I incredible. I did as
0: well. I said lots of white guys raising the roof for Booker T's entrance. <laughs> uh so Rick also and- weird to see I had totally forgotten that, that they were still using like the early nineties WCW US title belt here in two thousand one for Rick Steiner. Rick Steiner comes out wearing that belt, and he pulls out a glasses case to put his sunglasses away and protect them. Yes. Uh, no Matt. no, uh,
1: no headgear protection in this era of Rick Steiner, but he does have protection for his sunglasses.
0: And no fanny pack at this point. He left that no, in the back. No, sad. Match starts with Rick having the ref check Booker T's gloves, but that's just a distraction to allow Steiner to jump Booker before the bell. On the outside, Steiner throws Booker into the first row, almost killing these fans. Yes, which
1: later on I think we'll we'll discover, or understand that these fans are plants.
0: Yes. But at the time, I was yeah, I was taken aback by this. So back in the ring, double underhook into a sit-out power bomb for a near fall, all Rick Steiner here. Rick kicks Booker in the balls right in front of the referee who again for the first time yeah <laughs> but, well he does he he admonishes rick but yes. he does not disqualify him he only, referee Mickey only threatens to disqualify him booker then misses a kick and a perfect steiner belly to belly here long chin lock by rick booker then makes a comeback He tried a spine buster, but had to muscle him up. It looked really awkward here.
1: Yes, I apologize to the Canyon Cat spine buster because
0: this was significantly worse. Booker hits the axe kick, which has been renamed to the Ghetto Blaster, which was the name that Bad News Brown used for his Inzigiri finisher in WWF in the late 80s. Spinner Rooney from Booker T. Steiner then grabs the ref And pulls him in the way of the Harlem sidekick by Booker. German suplex. Steiner with a cover, but the ref is too hurt to count. Steiner's on the second turnbuckle as... Shane Douglas also with a cast on his. Yeah, arm. this
1: was like a ghost of WCW past year. I did not expect to see Shane Douglas, who was called Shane Douglas. And then I felt like, 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 uh, Shivani and Hudson got like an electric shock in their headsets that told them, call him the franchise. We don't call him Shane Douglas because then they kept calling him the franchise. And yeah, he jumps over the rail, he hits Rick with the cast. They tell us that he's had his wrist broken twice by Rick Steiner. Um, I don't know, like at the same time, or it's, it's like every six months, he just gets his wrist broken by Rick Steiner. I don't recall. Uh, but at this point, Rick falls off the uh, falls toward Booker. Booker hits the book end, uh, which is his basically Uranagi. the rock bottom yep. is your And we have a new United States champion. It's the one title, uh, other than the cruiserweight title. That's el- el- eluded Booker T throughout his WCW career. He's the new U S champion. This was pretty much an overbooked uh, mess. You talked about earlier on, like Bam Bam Bigelow being done. Rick Siner was the definition of done here in 2001. Oh, yeah. So this, you know, Booker T is great. He's one of our favorite guys. Uh, I think I can speak for both of us in Absolutely. terms of guys that we watch uh, on this podcast. But this was not my favorite Booker T match we've
0: watched. Now, seven minutes, 31 seconds. And again, more horrible, shaky documentary cameras Finding Animal over a laid-out Bagwell in the back. Luger's asking what's going on. Whoever is attacking the Magnificent Seven is causing dissension amongst the ranks here. The, we now get uh, our two main events because the people were here to see this match. Oh, yes. Jeff Jarrett and Ric Flair versus Dusty and Dustin Rhodes. Oh yeah, this was a Dusty Rhodes crowd. Florida, obviously,
1: a hugely important er- uh, area to the history of Dusty Rhodes' career early on and all throughout. And they note that in terms of under the actual World Championship Wrestling banner, this is the first time that Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes wrestled each other on a WCW show. Uh, Tony goes into you know Jim Crockett Promotions historian mode, which I love talking about. Sarkate 84 and 85 bash 86, etc. with flair versus dusty. But this is the first time that they've wrestled each other on a WCW pay-per-view. I also have to mention, well, I don't know fashion corner, but this is also beyond fashion. Jeff Jarrett has, he comes out, he has pyro shooting out of his guitar. The, the guitar says slap nuts on the back. And it is called over and over by Tony Schiavone, The Acoustic Equalizer. So that's the first part of this entrance. Then we hear Ric Flair's music hit. And Ric Flair is out wearing a Hawaiian shirt, but it is a different Hawaiian shirt than the one he was wearing backstage. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) He is wearing slacks.
0: Uh, Next to them is animal. Wait, wait, hold on. Black dress slacks. Yes. With a black floral print Hawaiian shirt so yeah
1: black or navy blue it appeared as though Ric Flair had just gotten off of work did not have enough time to go home and change completely but had enough time to wear his work pants change into his Hawaiian shirt and go to the Jimmy Buffett
0: concert (laughs) yeah it's like when I'm working from home and I change out of my sweatpants (laughs) into my pajama pants at the end of the day yeah
1: (laughs) so this is the look for Ric Flair the look for road warrior animal is incredible he is wearing jeans he is wearing a shirt over the shirt he is wearing a leather jacket the leather jacket is red white and black you know classic road warriors colors it has a huge like, caricature cartoony picture of him on the back it says legion of doom one sleeve is a normal leather sleeve the other sleeve is zubaz in 2001 uh, <laughs> he's as a man who was a part owner of zubaz which he was he was he was refusing here in 2001 to give up with the dream of zubaz you know taking over the country once more um also noteworthy dusty had some like knockoff version of the wwf american dream song at this point
0: yeah this this it was, was a, weird it was a very weird song um <laughs> Charles Robinson, he throws out Animal right away. Um, Flair was teasing he wasn't going to wrestle. He decides he's going to wrestle in that outfit that we just described. Which it's, it's also, <laughs> this is around that time, if you remember, a couple of weeks later, like eight days later, the final Nitro,
1: Ric Flair it was said later he was, he was self-conscious about his physique. He wrestled his final WCW match against Sting wearing a T-shirt tucked into his trunks, almost a, a Steve Regal, William Regal look.
0: The dad go back week's. to bed. Look,
1: yeah, that's <laughs> yes, exactly. But so I'm assuming that's why he he dressed like this for this match. But it was disappointing here in this this epic encounter with Dusty he was, Rhodes one more time. I don't
0: care what he looked like. He was phenomenal in this
1: match. Oh, he was. D- and the crowd, the crowd was so fired up before the match even starts. And it's great because they start with Jarrett and Dustin. You know, to they know what the crowd wants, and they're going to milk it. They're going to wait for it. Uh, But a huge Dusty chant from the fans here in Jacksonville as the match is about to begin.
0: Dustin in there with Jarrett, and what awesome punches by Dustin here. He's Dustin so good. Dustin
1: Rhodes is one of the most underrated wrestlers in the modern, when I say modern, I basically talk about the 35 years that I've been a pro wrestling fan. One of the most underrated wrestlers. Uh, He was great here. And in 2020, he still is great. Um, But yes, it's it's, again, one of those guys you kind of forgot was in WCW uh,
0: in in the dying days. And then Flair tags in with Dustin. We get awesome punches from Flair, some strutting. Hudson on commentary at this point cannot stop talking about how someone is going to have to kiss someone's ass. He's mentioned it over and over. It is killing me during this match especially when we get the awesome moment where uh, we get Flair and Dusty in
1: the ring at the same time and the place is just coming unglued you could you could say that that is really the final special moment in the yes. history of WCW and instead of laying out and letting the moment this incredible moment that the the decades and decades in history of history I should say between maybe the two biggest and most important names in the history of world championship wrestling instead of letting that breathe and allowing that to soak in, we have Scott Hudson yelling about how someone's going to get their ass stuck in someone else's face. And I just, yeah, I, he has wanted to yell, like,
0: he has to yell over the fans because this is the most exciting the fans have been all night long and they are oh, five, legitimately five. going crazy. And it's like, yeah, you, sh- like you just mentioned, take a beat let the fans have their moment. You don't need to yell over top of them about this.
1: Well, and especially if you're going to yell over top, it'd still be frustrating, but at least yell over the top about what a huge moment this is. Not about the stupid stipulation.
0: Yeah. It's completely, completely ruined by Hudson here. And Flair is 52 and dusty Rhodes is 55 here. And dusty with bionic elbows all over the place. Flip flop flies, he's throwing dusty jabs, he's being dusty
1: roads, and everyone's and it's, it's and it's what
0: everybody wanted, and they got, got it. it. Uh Flair with a low blow on Dustin, but at least this time was the ref was distracted and didn't see it. <laughs> yes. Which it's 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 funny what I
1: mentioned earlier about my my logic for why guys could get away with it. Here, that little that very thin thread of logic is blown away because <laughs> Flair knew that he had to have the ref distracted to be able to do the low blow. So
0: Flair and Jarrett keep taunting Dusty, and every time the ref puts him out, they double team on Dustin. They're they're working over Dustin's leg. Jarrett with a figure four. Uh, I don't know if you heard this or not, but Hudson still can't stop talking. <laughs> about kissing someone's ass he can't believe it he just can't well but the funny thing is like
1: even though it's pay-per-view he's afraid to say kissing their ass so he just says someone's gonna kiss someone and so that just it gives it a bit of a different tinge it's just it's it also felt because he was so hyper focused on this i felt like maybe someone pulled hudson aside and like he was the only person that got told that the Fusion deal wasn't going to go through, and your only chance was to impress Vince McMahon. This is your WWF because
0: audition tape. This
1: felt like a <laughs> WWF audition tape. And if you recall, the, the announce team for those few WCW segments on Raw were Scott Hudson and Arn Anderson. And Arn so Arn that's Anderson. my theory, and I'm I'm
0: sticking with it. So, <laughs> Dustin's able to reverse the figure four. flare on the apron cheering on Jarrett <laughs> was phenomenal. Uh, he is so great. And we talk about it in, in some of these 2003 matches when he's managing triple H, triple H. but well, yeah, he's, he's the most f-
1: entertaining person out there. And he's just the guy in the corner. In this case, the guy uh, in business, Jimmy Buffett casual on the apron. And he's the most entertaining thing happening because he is Ric Flair and you cannot deny him.
0: So great. Both guys tag out dusty and flair are back. And again, Dusty runs wild on both Jarrett and Flair. Flair is making, he's bouncing around for Dusty. Jarrett's bouncing around for Dusty, making him look like a million, do- just a million dollars here. It was awesome. Dusty knocks Flair down, sets up for an elbow drop, and Flair screams from the mat, No! <laughs> and Dusty nails the elbow drop. Jarrett then makes the save. Jarrett hits a low blow on Dusty. The ref saw it. Surprise, does not care. <laughs> Flair and Jarrett go to put figure fours on the roads, but Rhodes kick off Flair and Jarrett collide.
1: Dustin- this almost reminded me of the most un- WWF Most Unusual Matches tape with the whole sleeper spot uh, in that Tornado tag match.
0: Sure. Not quite as cool, but it was still, it was fun. And uh, Dustin then... Pulls Flair down in in what looked like a small package attempt. He ended up just muscling him down, hooking a leg, getting well, a yeah, pin. Flair,
1: we see it in the replay. Like Flair goes down for the cradle before Dustin gets him, and so Dustin kind of has to improvise. And Hudson, to his credit, in the replay does a great job of of sort of covering and, and kind of making up a thing as to what happened here.
0: The Rhodes family win. Flair bails and just screams on the ramp, no, no, over and over. In the ring, Dustin holds Jarrett as Dusty undoes his pants, pulls them down as he stands there, pants at his knees, red brief underwear. Well, they make a big deal about that, though, and I'm laughing because I'm like, Okay, that's
1: exactly what he wore for like 40 years. Yeah, there's just no
0: polka dots on it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) uh, Dusty then gives Jarrett what could only be called the stink face, very similar to uh, Rikishi. And I enjoyed watching the Flair freak out while he's watching Jarrett get the stink face. Flair... I'm 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 glad everyone's sitting down for this one. And uh, not totally shocking. Flair was amazing. He did a, a, a phenomenal, entertaining job. Dusty was super entertaining. Dustin and Jarrett were, were awesome in the ring. This was super fun. Nine minutes, fifty eight seconds.
1: Yes, very enjoyable way to spend ten minutes, even with the the dumb stipulation. Uh, a, a great send off for the pay-per-view history of WCW to have those two guys, Flair and Dusty in the ring. And then that then takes us to the main event, the final match ever for WCW on pay-per-view. And the thing that I'm most shocked by as we go to this match is that they were still using Michael buffer in March, 2001.
0: I laughed, so I go, ha, Michael Buffer is still doing ring announcing. They're still... no. This company is hemorrhaging money, and they're paying, what, 15 grand for a Let's Get Ready to Rumble? I literally have written down here on my notes, on my iPad,
1: wait, they were still using Michael Buffer this late with them hemorrhaging money and on the verge (laughs) of death? Wow. Exact quote from my notes.
0: So this is a Falls Count Anywhere match for the WCW World Title. Your champion... Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner, and the challenger, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page. DDP does not have his his public domain version of an
1: Nirvana song. He does not. Uh, which disappoints me. Also, did you notice that they used fake crowd noise during the Let's Get Ready to Rumble?
0: Uh, it's completely... It was so weird, the fake crowd noise, all night long. On a live show, it's so strange. We talked about it at... Bas- uh, bash of the beach
1: 2000 it's no less weird here also how about hearing Michael Buffer say like things other than people's height and weight in his Michael Buffer voice never gets old here he has a quote as Scott Sanders coming out exact quote in the company of his favorite freak the lovely and sexy Medeja like in the middle of him being Michael Buffer just hilarious
0: His introductions were the stuff of legend. Just, oh, just yeah. unbelievable.
1: Well, also, in the early days of him doing WCW, I guess it actually wasn't that early. Sometimes he clearly like had no idea who these guys were and did not care. Uh, as in the one time he introduced, and I quote, Hitman,
0: Brett Clark. <laughs> So the you've got Steiner and DDP in the ring, staring each other down. They start out by just spitting at each other. <laughs> DDP on fire early. Paige attacking Steiner on the outside. Steiner's able to gain the advantage by sending Paige into the guardrail. Steiner yelling at fans. Was legit scary because oh, it was
1: legit scary and highly entertaining. I yes. I would pay for two hours and fifty two minutes, which is how long this pay per view was of Scott Snyder insulting fans. He's yelling at these people. He he loves calling people white trash. He loves calling people fat asses. And just hearing Scott Snyder say this, like you said, it's terrifying, but also absolutely hilarious.
0: You, you know, he's one of those crazy guys that you. It was terrifying because. You had a feeling that you didn't know how insane or crazy Steiner was, and was this the time he'd actually kill a fan so well it- and
1: think about the Scott Steiner in this match and the presentation here we talk about his that match with triple h that that he had like what a year after this. Was in the, a, the yeah, WWF Royal Rumble uh, 2003. Yeah. So I guess a, yeah, a year and a half, but just the difference in presentation and how in this match and again you could say a lot of things wrong about WCW obviously. They were going to be dead 8 days later. But they went to all of Scott Steiner's strengths, which were he's a crazy person, he's a heel, you don't know if he's going to kill the guys in the ring with, you don't know if he's going to kill the fans. And then you look at that presentation of him in that match uh, at Royal Rumble 2003, where literally it felt like they they had like a a chalkboard in the back of what are all of his weaknesses and
0: then just said, let's exploit and accentuate all of those. Yes, yeah, so they stayed away from all those weaknesses in the build of that match and then proceeded to just yes. exploit every single one. Uh, Steiner's got Paige against the rope and he's just hitting clubbing him across the chest with forearms while screaming at a dude in the front row. Come on, fat ass <laughs> over and over. This was so great classic Scott Steiner they they brawl into the crowd the uh, they they brawl and find a Spanish announce table that's way in the back of the it's, first level of fans. It's
1: way back there. it's like behind a barricade between like the the floor and the like the the arena seats. Pedro Morales uh, <laughs> yeah. is one of the guys on commentary which shocked me. Uh, They don't go through the Spanish table. Instead, there's another table that gets set up. They have a planted fan in a DDP shirt. Scott Sander grabs a crutch from the fan and breaks it over DDP, which is entertaining.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, so this random guy is standing there on crutches. Now, one one... guy
1: in this, like, (laughs) black void uh, in between ringside and the arena
0: seats. No one on crutches would be standing there. You'd be no. you'd be looking for your first opportunity to sit down if you're on crutches. <laughs> you're not just standing there. This whole thing was and also, forced and completely ridiculous.
1: Terrible, terrible job by either that fan or WCW accommodating that fan is there is not a chair in sight <laughs> no. for this person who clearly has a serious lower body injury.
0: Steiner breaks the crutch across Paige's back. Paige then calls for the other crutch. The dude throws in the crutch, and he breaks it over Steiner's back. Paige lays Steiner across a random table that is not the Spanish announce table. It is next to the random table. DDP then falls off the guardrail, driving an elbow into Steiner, putting him through that table. And he's he can pin him there. It's false count anywhere, but it's only a two count. Steiner then, as they make their way back to the ring, he takes like a plate sign thing uh, that from a quote fan and and then he he pie faces the fan after that and then hits ddp with this plate sign thing that explodes well no one can convince me that this fan is not paul london i literally wrote here i swear that that quote fan looked like paul london so <laughs> the i weird
1: thing was that the fan looked like like late stage paul london like paul london at this point would have been like 15 probably
0: yeah it, but it's so funny it looks we both, exactly like him we both have that written down uh yeah because <laughs> i immediately thought that that was paul london uh wow that and and so steiner got a he got a little cut from from being hit with that as well and and he's got this trickle of blood on his forehead and somehow looks even more terrifying yes well and then at this point uh they get back in the ring
1: and he's he Scott is bleeding and but he's doing push-ups and saying he's yelling to the fans how he's just warming up. And I'm just like, Scott Steiner is such a great man here. So awesome.
0: Bear hug by Steiner. Shivani's talking about squeezing the life, but all I hear during this bear hug is the voice of Gorilla Monsoon <laughs> saying it's too low. Why bother? You're not gonna get him that way. <laughs> Uh, if you don't know what i 'm talking about, go back to our Royal Albert Hall episode and hear all about monsoon getting angry at misapplied bear hugs uh, yes it's uh, it's quite great <laughs> this also this spot that you're talking about here in this match came moments after Scott Steiner basically threatened to murder
1: Nick Patrick
0: Steiner with a belly to belly overhead suplex for a near fall. Paige then fights back a little, but another belly to belly by Steiner. At this point, Scott Hudson is talking
1: about the Magnificent Seven like it's like the NWO tearing down WCW. He talks about how DDP is the last hope for WCW against the Magnificent Seven
0: and the tyrannical reign of Ric Flair. Just laying it on a little too thick here. DDP finally fights back. He goes for the diamond cutter, but Steiner counters, kicks DDP with a low blow again in front of the referee, but it's actually okay to do that in this match because it's false count anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Steiner, then he's shoved chest first into the buckles. He turns around and DDP hits the diamond cutter ref counts two and gets pulled out of the ring by Rick Steiner. At this point,
1: I'm waiting for the credits to roll and find out if this was like Gato's tryout to be a booker here. Um, because this felt like, uh, And again, biggest New Japan fan you're ever going to find. This felt like some of the the worst tendencies of the longtime New Japan Booker Gato here uh, in 2001 WCW. DDP with a plancha over the top
0: rope wipes out Rick Steiner. In a baseball slide dropkick right before that, DDP was watching those first few matches. He grabs the ref and brings him back into the ring. The crowd is chanting for Goldberg at this point. Rick on the apron... DDP throws Scott into Rick. After they collide, DDP rolls up Scott, only a two count. When Steiner kicked out, DDP fell onto referee Nick Patrick. It It's false count anywhere, so I don't know why we need ref bumps here. But, yes. Uh, we get them anyway. Steiner then nails DDP with the title belt to the head, and Diamond Dallas Page is bleeding from this belt shot. Oh, over He's the place. Cut this is—he is gushing. The blood is pooling on the mat. This
1: is—I don't know if he, if the uh, the belt actually cut him or if he bladed after he got hit. But either way, this—I assume this is a deeper cut than they were going for
0: because this was bad. Ref counts, but Paige gets the shoulder up at two. We get the Steiner recliner. Scott Steiner's version of the camel clutch applied. DDP is a bloody mess. Pools of blood on the mat, like you mentioned. His face completely covered in blood. DDP makes the ropes for the break. Rick Steiner then with a cheap shot on page. Medeja, who was attacked days earlier, totally fine. Uh, She's with the ref. Steiner then hits DDP with a pipe in the ribs. Three multiple times. times. Yeah, lead pipe. Which I guess this was hit. You know, at, at the time,
1: uh, Triple H was already using the sledgehammer. So in WCW, you had Scott
0: Steiner using the lead pipe. Another Steiner recliner. DDP passes out. The ref calls for the bell. Scott Steiner's victorious. Still your WCW champion. Fourteen minutes, fourteen seconds after the match. A couple more pipe shots to a down DDP. They lay the University of Michigan flag over them as they celebrate. And then the show goes off the air, the final pay-per-view for WCW.
1: Before it it goes off the air, we get like a random video recap of everything we just saw, which just felt out of place and strange for this time period. But yeah, the final WCW pay-per-view basically goes off the air with the Steiner brothers standing tall, which is not something I, I have any recollection of, but that did in fact occur.
0: So, you know, going into this show, I, I was ex- ready to hate it at the levels of a Bash at the Beach 2000. However, this show tried to correct wrongs of the past yes. few years of WCW by not overbooking the show, trying to push the young new talent, and it made for a really enjoyable show. But you could say at this point, it was exactly too little, too late for the company as a whole.
1: Exactly. And that's, that's what I, what I spoke to earlier and that rewatching this, it did confirm a lot of what I had felt back then and kind of had carried over the last 20 years or so, but not really, you know, gone back and watch these shows, which was that it was sad that WCW died at a point where, like you said, this show was in a lot of ways a microcosm of the first three months of 2001, where they were they were actively trying to right the wrongs, but it was just too little, too late. They had damaged the brand, if you want to call it that, too much. They had lost, you know, they they had just blown way too much uh, customer fan loyalty, and it was going to be too hard to get it back. Who knows if the fusion deal had gone through? Uh, but the thing you can say about this show, while it wasn't perfect. It at least felt like WCW which 99 and particularly 2000 for a long time, WCW fan, it just didn't feel like even the company, you know, that that you would enjoy. Whereas this, at least it did feel a little bit like WCW, the good elements.
0: Best match for you on the show.
1: I would have to go with one of the two opening matches. Me too. Uh, Yeah. It's a, it's honestly a coin flip to me between the tag, the, the, the tag titles and, the Jet-Kweewee match, the Cruiserweight tag title match, I should say. I almost would go with Jet versus Kweewee only because that match should not have been that good. I have no problem believing that Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman could carry two two decent but not great guys to a really good tag match. But I, I think I'm actually going to go with Jason, Jet, and Kweewee.
0: I'm going to agree with you because uh, it's a match that took me from no expectations and uh, you know, really I, I had an adverse reaction to just seeing to enjoying the match as a whole. So yeah, that, that, that those first two matches by far were the best matches on this show. The worst match for you. Oh man. I'm going to go with Canyon and the cat Uh, Canyon and
1: the cat because that was longer uh stasiak and bigelow was not good at all that's my
0: choice uh stasiak Stasiak is a total
1: nothing but i canyon and and the cat i just i don't like the cat the story was stupid Uh, i had to hear them call canyon a sociopath 400 times it just it overstayed its welcome so yeah
0: yeah i'm gonna go with uh stasiak and bigelow stasiak is just such a zero uh, suck the life out of a show that was going really that I was enjoying. Uh, so yeah, definitely that was the worst match for me. But overall, a good show. The WCW agreed. The final show, uh, strong finish for for a company that would go out of business uh, just a, a a week later. So uh, with that, I want to remind everyone that all of the episodes that we referenced in today's show those. Uh, older WCW shows, those those two early two thousand WWF shows, that Royal Albert Hall show from from the early nineties. Go, uh, you can listen to all of those in our archives. The entire back catalog of this podcast is available at wrestlingatrandom.com. and if you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Wrestle at Random, we will tell you every single Thursday what that week's show will cover. And Twitter is the place to interact with this show. Uh, we have a great time interacting with the listeners, so uh, and we love hearing from you. And we, we will re- try to reply to every single uh, comment we get. So please, if you want to interact with the show, make sure you do that via Twitter at Wrestle at Random. Uh, if you are not on Twitter because it, it can be a cesspool, I totally understand that as well. We are we would also like to hear from you wrestling at, at I am sorry wrestling at Random at gmail.com is the email address. You can send us your comments there as well. All of those links are available in the back catalog, like I mentioned, at the website, wrestlingatrandom.com. So please make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. That helps others find the show, and we rely on you to tell your wrestling fan friends, tell your friends that used to be wrestling fans, about the show. We rely on your word of mouth
1: and tell the people in your life who either you don't like anymore or they don't like you, or maybe the feeling is mutual, uh, but you know, they still like wrestling. Uh, I'm not so, uh, so arrogant as to believe that the show can mend friendships,
0: but I mean, they'll still enjoy it. So tell them. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Give it a try. And uh, and with that, I want to thank you for joining us, Adam. Definitely. Thank
1: you, Jeremy. And I just want to mention again, uh, we talked about favorite matches. I think my favorite moment on this show Uh, even though uh, Scott Hudson tried to ruin it was Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes tagging in and just that that crowd and then soaking in
0: that one more time. Absolutely. I want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you again next time.